Hi, friends. I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're dead, dead drunk. drunk? <laughs> This is weird. Yeah. We're down a body. I know. It's like very roomy in here, actually. <laughs> I have all the elbow room I need. I can spread out. I have a chair. <laughs> <laughs> I love that journey for you. Thank you. Yeah. So as you guys may have noticed, Katie is no longer with us. We had to let her go. Haha. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. She's in England living her best life with her boyfriend. So um, fuck you. But like, okay. But I love that journey for you. Yeah, I love that for her. But it means that there's just two of us this week. Um, Hype! It's going to be just two of us for a few weeks, right? While Katie is not with us, we might record a couple episodes because we hate it. No, just kidding. Because (laughs) um, we have some days off coming up, and so we might as well get ahead of the curve. So hopefully Katie will be here again soon. Yeah, in the meantime, I'm watching a lot of Investigation Discovery, so we're going to cover a lot of that. Yeah, we're just going to fucking roll with it. It's going to be really fun. For all you people with regular jobs, don't worry. I'll update you on what's going on on Investigation Discovery. Guess what? It's only okay. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) The reenactments are always terrible. Oh, yeah. That's the best part of Investigation Discovery is the reenactments that are so obviously like these people could not get another acting job and they're like, okay... I love it so much. I keep waiting to hear just the narrator. I really love it a lot when the narrator is over the reenactment and that actor doesn't have any lines at all. But <laughs> when they do have lines, it's just like, I can't believe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those stock footage memes. Like, I want a divorce. <laughs> it reminds me of, I don't know if it was a vine. I think it was probably a vine of the people that are... um in the room what are they saying and they're like making weird poses and stuff honey you've got a big storm coming oh that one i've definitely seen yeah on youtube if you want to search it it's called you could stop at five or six stores you could stop at five or six stores or just one literally the one of the top comments is five years later we still don't understand what's going on all right (laughs) without further ado um this is going to be a I was going to say Tiernisode, but it's that's not what it's called. I don't know. I feel An like episode name. We always call it a Tiernisode, and then we're like, huh, just kidding. It could be a Tiernisode A Tiernisode I like that. It's like <laughs> a sandwich, a Tiernisode All right. <laughs> so this Tiernisode is about the double initial murderer. Ooh. I know. Right? I love alliteration. Me too, which is why we decided to make a cocktail that is also alliterative. And because our podcast is called Dead Drunk, we had to use double D's, right? So we are going to do a dragonberry daiquiri this week. It's just going to be like a regular daiquiri, but with dragonberry rum instead of regular rum. So it'll be a shot of dragonberry rum. I think the Bacardi brand has dragonberry, right? Mm -hmm. And then simple syrup and lime juice. You're going to put those in a shaker with ice cubes. Pop some ice cubes in that shaker. I'm going to shake that <laughs> shit up. And put it in a cocktail glass. 
with no ice. Strain that shit. I don't know. I'm trying to sound like Katie. <laughs> I don't think it's working. And then enjoy responsibly. Yes, That's legally it. and responsibly, please. And thank you. There you go. So it's not particularly October-y, but don't worry. We'll get pretty spooky spoopy. It's fine. Yes, we'll get spoopy soon enough. I'm so excited for October. <laughs> I know, me too. I once made a really horrible joke when I was in like high school and there was a snowstorm in October and I went around and was like, it's October. <laughs> and like, it was kind of funny the first time, but then after I said it like eight times, my parents were like, okay, <laughs> we get it. October. <laughs> like, Move on. Was that, I think that was, was that right before you came to college? Cause I was at college when a snowstorm I hit. I think I was a junior in, um, in yeah. high school. So yeah. I was so pissed. I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to enjoy Halloween this month and it ruined it. Oh, I know. Do you this know what is, you're for Halloween yet? Um, I have a rough idea of some of them. I like that Halloween when you're an adult could be like four to five days so you can yes. like change it up. Yes. I'm pretty excited about my options. Yeah, same. Where is this going? We're going to cover the case. Okay, here we go. We're getting into the case, not Halloween. If you want us to start a podcast where we just talk about random shit, let us know. Uh, subscribe to our Patreon where we post our <laughs> conversation. Anyway, I would pay for that. All right. So this is the case of the double initial murder. And for a little intro into Crazy Joe, I'm going to pull a quote from good old Murderpedia Because I feel like there's no way that I could reword this that would sound better than how it is. So I'm just going to do it. Murderpedia. They're so good at their job. Hit up Murderpedia. I mean, Murderpedia, hit us up. Sponsor us. (laughs) Okay. So the double initial killer does not break from the role of oddballs and loners who comprise the overwhelming majority of serial killer suspects. Neighbors painted a picture of a paranoid, hot-tempered man who kept to himself and never said hello. Whether he is found guilty or not, he was the picture-perfect cliché of a serial killer, a recluse who outdid the other recluses. That sounds like what I'm aspiring to be. Doesn't doesn't that sound like a a movie trailer or something? (laughs) It does sound like... In a world where he didn't leave... In a world where oddballs and loners comprise the overwhelming majority of serial killers one man painted a picture of a paranoid hot okay anyway <laughs> one man outdid them all dun, dun, dun. all right <laughs> so sorry everyone. but he really loved english so <laughs> oh my god all right <clears throat> oh, you're right there sorry <laughs> no it's fine all right <clears throat> so i'm going to tell the story as it unfolded to the police And then we will circle back to our man. Okay, so on January 11th in 1977 in Fairfax, California, the police received an anonymous phone call that a body had been found dumped near the side of the road. The woman had been buried face down underneath some desert brush. She had pantyhose wrapped around her neck and also pantyhose stuffed down her throat and her feet were bound. Police determined that she had not been there very long, probably less than a day. And they then determined that this was the body of 18-year-old Roxine Rogash. Roxine had a rough childhood. She had abusive parents who would beat her and her siblings. She also had depression and had previously attempted suicide. By age 14, she had already had two abortions. 
But she then decided to keep her third pregnancy, a son that she would name Shane. And she loved Shane. Shout out Shane if you're listening. Roxanne had been known to be a sex worker in the area. However, her family has always denied this fact. Because of the connection, police zeroed in quickly on a man who had recently been accused of assault by another sex worker in the area. This, at the time, seemed like a really promising lead. However, it didn't pan out. They were, however, able to connect DNA from semen found in her body, as well as what was found under her fingernails. However, no match was found in the database at this time, because it was only 1977, and they didn't have a large database of DNA for criminals. Uh, That's so frustrating. Yeah. So, with no other leads, Roxine's case went cold. Mm. Later, the police would say that the anonymous phone call they received reporting the location of Roxine's body was most likely her murderer calling to tell the police about it because of how specific his description of her location was. They said that he wanted the police to find her so that he could, like, follow the investigation and, and, like, kind of, like, get off on them not knowing who he was. Oh, that's a really typical serial killer thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And a lot of serial killers also have a thing with trophies, which... We will get into later. I hate that. Yep. So one year later, on August 15th of 1978, the body of 22-year-old Carmen Cologne was found on a cow farm in Point Coaster, California. This was just 30 miles from where Roxine's body was found. She was also found strangled and naked, dumped outside by the side of the road. She was also a sex worker, And they were able to identify her because of an arrest record that she had in the system. She was badly decomposed, but they could get one fingerprint from one of her fingers and were able to connect her that way. Carmen's sister claimed that Carmen had recently been involved in modeling and had an erotic photo shoot with someone, but she didn't know who it was. So Carmen's case, like Roxine's, went cold. In Tiburon, California, in January of 1981, two black garbage bags washed up on the beach. A woman reported them to the police after noticing them on her morning jog. She said that they smelled terrible. Police didn't prioritize the bags because they weren't really too concerned about them, like two trash bags on the beach. However, when they finally got picked up by sanitation workers... They were shocked and horrified to find female human remains inside the bags. How would you, as police, not immediately assume that there's a body in there? Well, this was 1981, so this was. But they're like three years later, around, right? I don't know, like two garbage bags washed up on the beach. Like you don't know how how they got there. You know what I mean? I, I guess know. maybe I don't know. It's just garbage, I'm- so they were like, "Let's outsource that." Like we're the police; we have other stuff to. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm just speaking from my crime mind. Yeah, I was going like, to say. Oh, that's a body. I saw a garbage bag on the side of the road the other day and thought, oh, that's got body parts in it. That's yeah. for sure got evidence in it. <laughs> because of ligature marks on the neck of this woman, coroners were able to determine that strangulation was the cause of death. She also had pantyhose tied around her neck and her hands and feet were bound. The coroner on this case had actually assisted on Roxine Rogash's case as well and was able to make a connection between the two cases. Later, the body was identified as that of Sharia Patton by her daughter. She had been living in an apartment complex in San Francisco that was managed by a man named Joseph Naso. 
Joseph Naso was born in Rochester, New York on January 7th, 1934, and served in the U.S. Air Force in the 1950s. Upon his return, he met his first wife, Judith, and they were married for 18 years and then divorced, but they still remained close because their son, Charles, had schizophrenia. So even after their divorce, Naso spent a lot of time taking care of his son, and they were kind of like co-parenting him, even though he was older. How do you manage that when it gets into adulthood? I don't know. Hmm. You have to be a special kind of person to have that. Um, God bless you, Judith. Patience. Yep. It's important to know that during this time, Naso was committing petty crimes such as shoplifting. And because of that, he earned the nickname Crazy Joe from his neighbors and acquaintances. At the time that Sharia's body was found, he was interviewed by the police because of the relation he was managing her complex. And also because acquaintances and neighbors said he gave off creepy vibes witnesses also had told police that he had expressed an interest in sharia however he was not listed as an official suspect and her case went cold oh. in 1992 i was born that year oh <laughs> this is nine years later Renee Shapiro was hitchhiking near Morin County, California, on her way to a Bob Dylan concert, and she was quite the Bob Dylan groupie. She had actually officially changed her name to Sarah Dylan because that was his former wife's name. Oh, my God. So, yeah. No, like, I could see you doing that, but, like, the people that you follow have, like, talent. I don't want to, <laughs> like, I just, uh, I just find Bob Dylan so overrated. <laughs> so, Sarah Dylan was on the way to a Bob Dylan concert, and she never made it there. Oh. We don't really know that much more than that, besides that her skull was found near Nevada County, California, but that was not until much, much later, like many, many years. Wow. Yeah. Wait, so her skull was found in Nevada? or in Nevada no- County, California. Ah, oh, that's so confusing. Can mm. you just keep other states' names out of your counties? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So in 1993, which is 15 years since the death of Carmen Cologne, to put that in perspective, the body of 38-year-old Pamela Parsons is found by a man who was out walking his dog. She was, too, strangled and dumped outside, naked, in Yuba County, California. Her arms were crossed over her chest, which people described as it made her look peaceful, which was kind of strange. At the time of her death, Pamela had been working at a restaurant, but would often accept money for sex to help make ends meet, and a lot of people knew this. She was also addicted to meth. Because of these connections to sex work and drugs, as we see so many times, her case wasn't taken that seriously. She also didn't really have any family or friends around, so they weren't there to like push police to investigate, so oh. her case also went cold. This is so rough. Everybody is a person. It doesn't matter what mistakes they've made. Mm -hmm. You should take them seriously. Yeah. Agreed. So then 31-year-old Tracy Tafoya was found dead, also in Yuba County, just a year after Pamela. She was found by a paper boy out on his route, and it seemed as if she had been pushed out of a moving car because her body was mangled. She had apparently been drugged, strangled, and raped. She, like the other women, was addicted to drugs and was a sex worker. Police were able to make the connection between her and Pamela's murder. However, no leads came in. Her case went cold for 16 more years. Oh, my gosh. At this time, DNA science has 
evolved to a point where they could <laughs> test it from Roxanne, right? Yeah, but at this time, because it's still 1993, if they run it through the system and whoever the suspect is hasn't been caught and and oh, there were okay. there was no DNA in the system, they didn't have like 23andMe and like all that other stuff where they could like find people that did they didn't have DNA on. Unless you were a oh, criminal right. and they had taken a DNA sample, they had nothing. Oh, that's so interesting. Can you imagine if like a serial killer has gone uncaught for 40, 50 years and I'm then he sure goes 23andMe and like... Or like his sister does 23andMe and he's like, fuck you, Karen. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the family members. Yeah. It's not like you could be like, no, don't do not do that. Right. They're going to be like, mm, why? That's kind of suspicious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah. That's how uh, the Golden State Killer got found. Nuh-uh. Yeah. He like did one it of his cousins his... did 23andMe or something. Oh. And then they were able to like get dna from like his trash can or something and i'm so excited i started reading michelle mcnamara's book on him and she is incredible and i'm super Mm, excited to mm. finish it she was so obsessed with him like we're obsessed with literally everything and i'm (laughs) i love that okay so in 2004 our good pal joseph naso remember joseph naso (laughs) our good pal He's not really a good pal, but he was uh, Sharia Patton's crazy building manager. Crazy Joe. Crazy Joe. You know. So in 2004, he moves from California to Reno, Nevada, and he was still on probation from some of the petty crimes that he had committed in California. So as part of the move, he had to get it approved by the state of California that he was moving. And he also had to get a new probation officer once his move was approved. And this officer went by the name of Wes Jackson. So by the time his move was approved, it was 2009, meaning Naso had already been living in Nevada for about five years. Wow. But the move had taken him a little while to complete, and he was kind of going back and forth for a while because he was a Category 5 hoarder, and he had a lot of crap. Ooh. Like, take the crap that I have and multiply it by, like, a million, and that's Joseph Naso. Oh, my God. Yeah. it's a horrible house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So once he was finally completely moved as part of his probation, Officer Jackson was allowed to search Naso's home, dropping in whenever he wanted completely unannounced. It was like one of the agreements to his probation. Mm -hmm. So Naso was upset by this, claiming that Jackson stopped by far too often and actually filed a harassment complaint with the state. After a four-month period without him stopping by, Naso kind of thought he had gotten rid of him and gotten off the hook because of his complaint. And so he got a little more lazy with keeping up his house. However, Jackson had just been really busy and had never even received the complaint that Naso issued. Well, it was just... Why would they care? I'm sure that all people on probation file a harassment complaint. Yeah. You know, like, this is probation. They have to come and check on you. If you didn't want somebody to watch over you, maybe not do that thing. Yeah. Maybe don't do that thing. That's what <laughs> I meant to say. I English real good. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sentence long. Me. <laughs> Why use many words? When what you, is it? I can't remember it. But Why many words? Less what? words. Less words make. Less words do or something. Why work many? I don't know. Okay. You know what I'm saying? We'll insert yeah, the Yeah, Kevin. I waste time. Say lot word when few word do trick. So. Naso thought he had gotten rid of Jackson after four months of not seeing him. However, he was just busy and never even received the complaint. And so this time when he returned to Naso's house, Naso was not pr- 
prepared for Jackson to enter. Good. So when searching the house, Jackson found some pretty disturbing things. He found some mannequin parts, which was like, okay, that's weird. (laughs) Then he found some piles of women's lingerie, which is even more weird, but also still like, I don't know what this guy likes, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know that I would think that way. Like, I don't know what this guy likes. Maybe he likes dressing up mannequins and lingerie. (laughs) Yeah, right? But then he found many journals that Naso had been writing in throughout the years. And he also found over 5,000 photographs of nude women. Some of them were alive. Some of them were deceased. Oh, my God. Yeah, these pictures were, like, women bound and tortured with, like, the pantyhose and stuff. Oh, my gosh. Because he liked to use these as his trophies. Like, he would take the pictures and he would, like, yeah. Oh, so she really was doing an erotic photo shoot, but she wasn't. Yes. Oh. So... The journals that were found in Nasa's house contained detailed accounts of what happened to the victims that were earlier mentioned in this episode. Nasa would reel the women in saying that he was going to pay them to take their photographs. He was a photographer back when he was living in New York. Although many of them were aware that sex was part of the deal because he targeted sex workers, some of them didn't have sex with him and that's kind of what triggered him if he like paid them to take their photo and they didn't have sex with him he got pissed he was kind of like kendall francois the poughkeepsie killer in that way like he would get angry if women ripped him off and in this case most of them did some of them he just decided to kill i don't know that i would was it was he hiring them to take their pictures and with the stipulation like also we're gonna have sex he thought it was implied but i don't think that he I wouldn't it take it as implied, upon. you know? Like, if you were a well, sex I mean, he's worker, crazy. just ask for sex. Yeah, he yeah. is crazy. Okay, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> Throw rationality out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, these journals were read aloud in court, but due to their graphic nature, I'm just going to leave them up to your imagination. Like, he said some fucked up shit about them, and we don't need to get into it. The reason that they think that the Roxane Rogash tip was from him is because of how detailed his journals were and how detailed that tip was. Because he would memorize, like every part of the location so he could like get off on it later along with the detailed journals of like what he did to these women in the journal naso also had a list of 10 unnamed women along with a geographical location and so at first police weren't sure if this was like the list of the victims he killed or like the people that were next oh they went into a huge investigation on this and they determined that the four victims that Naso was charged for murdering were definitely on this list and which I'll get into. And the other six remain unnamed. They weren't sure, but they're most likely ones that he already killed. Oh yeah. Naso was charged for the murders of Roxine Rogash, Carmen Cologne, Tracy Tafoya and Pamela Parsons, which if you saw the title of our episode and noticed, they all have double initial names. Roxine Rogash is the R's. You see, you get it. I don't have to go through it. You like passed pre-K. Thank you. Yeah, you understand alliteration. Yes. Good job, you guys. <laughs> so, Naso was not tried for the murder of Renee Shapiro or Sharia Patton. 
In the case of Renee, I had said before her skull wasn't found until much, much later. It wasn't found until like right before the trial. And so it was too late for them to try him for her case, too. In Sharia's case, he never admitted to murdering her. However, upon later searches of his house, they found her ID in his house. So it's like, so he murdered her, too. Yeah. So why would he not? Because the searches happened after he was oh, on trial. Like it was like further. I don't know. That's strange, though. That might mean that the murder was a murder of passion rather than his regular M.O. because he had to take a trophy, obviously, and that was her ID. But there could have been pictures of her, but he didn't name the women in his journal. They were able to determine what ones they were, I believe, by the geographical location that he listed. Oh, But you couldn't identify them in the photos? Not really. I don't think so. I think that they were kind of graphic photos. So Naso currently sits on death row, but it is really unlikely that he will actually be executed before he dies of natural causes because today Naso is 85 years old. Why can't we just... There's just... There are so many people like ahead of him. I don't really know how death row works completely, but you're kind of like in a line, I think. Yeah, I've watched some shows before where it says that they're still waiting on death row and like the crime and they were convicted in the 80s or something and they're still waiting and i just don't understand how we were so quick to fry ted bundy and everybody else is taking like decades to fry but i brought it up with john and the john goes well you know like it's not like we can immediately murder all these people because what if we're wrong yeah that's true. So, because my solution was like, why don't we just, you know, murder him right away? Exactly. You march him right to the room and you fucking kill him. You don't even have to march him. Every <laughs> cop has a gun. Just, you know. You're sentenced to death. Yeah. And then you <laughs> pick some straws and whoever gets the shortest straw shoots that guy. And <laughs> or the longest straw, depending. Or, yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> you know? But uh, that was, I'm so sorry. This is awful and I don't want anybody to die. But some people we just don't need on our team. We just don't need on team humanity. I'm looking at you, Ray Carruth. <laughs> looking at you, Ray Carruth. Exactly. <laughs> I don't I don't condone hiring anybody to murder, and I don't condone murder. Okay, so that's what he was convicted for. And there may be no connection to him and the New York alphabet murders, but I want to mention them anyway. So a few years earlier, a string of murders in Rochester, New York, followed the same pattern that Joseph Naso followed with the alliterative names, the double initials. Three preteens had been murdered. One of them was Michelle Mayanza, who was 11. She disappeared in November of 1973. Before that, Wanda Welkowicz, who was also 11, had disappeared in April of the same year. And... In 1971, just two years before Wanda, a 10-year-old named Carmen Cologne also disappeared. And no, I did not misspeak. One of the victims in California had the exact same name as one of the victims in Rochester, Carmen Cologne. Naso has always been linked to the Rochester alphabet murders, not only because of the similarities with the names, but because if you remember, Naso was living in Rochester at the time. However, authorities have disassociated Naso with these murders for a couple of reasons. The first being that the ages were so different because Naso was murdering women that were, I guess, 18 to 
56, I think, was his oldest. So I, it's just, it's not. Yeah, he was He's like, not a pedophile. Yeah, he was crazy, but he wasn't a pedophile. He had regular, well, not regular, but he had like usual adult male sexual perversions. Right. Um, the second reason is that I don't believe that there was like a pantyhose thing. Like the way he murdered them was different, whoever this was. Right, I was going to ask you about the pantyhose. Yeah. And then the third one, which they really completely wrote him off, was that the DNA found on one of these three victims did not match Joseph Beso. Mm. Did it, it didn't match anybody else in the system? I don't believe so. They still don't know who the alphabet murderer in Rochester is, Ugh. which is why they people kind of still always link him. But the oh. DNA is definitive. He definitely didn't do right, at least that one. Did he have an accomplice? Ooh. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Could he have still have been involved in some way? We don't really know. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's interesting that, well, number one, that two of the victims had the exact same name. Like, what are the odds of that? That they all had the double initials, even though we do know that some of his didn't. So maybe it was just a coincidence that the four he was tried for and convicted of had the initials. Um, And it's just like he was in the place at the time so it's like yeah he was it's there. kind of like an israel keys thing it's like was israel keys there oh he did it yeah like <laughs> <laughs> you know like i don't know it's hard to completely write him off just because of how similar if you haven't listened to any other podcasts or know us in person then you don't know who israel keys <laughs> is but um i'm sure that we'll cover him at some point but the frustrating thing is that he didn't fully admit to all of his murders. He expressly told the police that they were all missing persons and that he would never tell them who they were or where he did them. He did them all over America. It's yeah, it's nuts. And we'll definitely cover him because it, he's insane. But oh yeah, and he really pisses me off. You know, like when somebody does tells you a story and they completely forget the ending or they try to tell you a joke i've definitely done this 20 million times where i try to tell somebody a joke and then i completely forget the punchline that's what israel keys did with the police that's exactly <laughs> how he handled this case yeah and also naso in the same way that israel keys did in his journals he would talk about geographic locations which were like kind of hints to other ones like Like, I'm looking back now at some of the quotes from his journal, and this one isn't, like, super crazy. But this one says, Girl in North Buffalo Woods. She was real pretty. Had to knock her out first. Oh, my God. Which, now that I'm reading that, I literally just had, like, a light bulb moment. Um, Probably another reason that people associate him to the Rochester ones is because Buffalo is right near Rochester. Yeah. So, had to knock her out first. And he called her a girl? Did he call the other ones girls in his journal or? I honestly have not read his journals because it's like fucking. Because who would? And I don't know how many of them are public record. I haven't really looked because I don't want to. Yeah, I don't really want to. That's like somebody going, hey, have you read Mein Kampf? No. Why would I? (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. So, you know, he's just. There's a lot more on. Crazy Joe. Like I'm looking at these the quotes of him now he's like super weird like he said that his rape journal is what he called it um isn't proof of his actions he said that's the way i talk i have brain sex 
When I say I picked up a nice broad and raped her, it had nothing to do with forcible rape. I've never had any complaints with any of my dates except for the two. There's nothing in my journal about killing. The prosecution is based on opinions and theories. He literally wrote about rape. I don't understand mm. their... Just because I write that I raped somebody doesn't mean it actually happened. What? Like, okay, dude. You have pictures of dead bodies, though, so... Yeah, that one is solid evidence. <laughs> but, like, uh, it's such a stupid excuse. It's like saying, oh, these aren't my pants. Like, oh, what? Yeah, he, like, tried to debate it really hard. He, like, wanted to tell, quote-unquote, his side of the story. But his side I'm of not the, story. the monster they say killed these women. I don't kill people, and there's no evidence of that in my writings and photography. Okay. The photographs are literally of dead bodies. But, like, is there evidence that he killed them? How did they get dead? I don't know. <laughs> and, like, why is your DNA on their body? I don't. I don't. I don't. Ah, oh, crazy Joe. But, yeah, so he kept a list. He kept mementos. He was crazy Joe, and we hate him, and I hope he dies. I mean, he's supposed to, and he definitely will because he's human. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, But, yeah, there's, I mean, there's more out there. I listened to a podcast called Serial Killers that talked about this case, and they split it into two episodes, and I was kind of just like, I want to do that. I don't really want to do that. I think I, we can tell the story, and if you want to find more information on it, it's definitely out there if you're curious, but this is kind of... um. He sounds really similar to... I can't remember his name, but I remember in Morbid, they talked about how Dennis Rader really admired that one guy who would also pick up sex workers, telling them that he was just going to take pictures of them. I think it's Henry something. Henry something. That serial killer who would pick them up. You know who I'm talking about. I can see it in your face, but I can't remember the name. But I think you do. I do, but I don't remember. I know what you're talking about, but I have no idea. Right. We don't know the name, but it's fine. And he would like pick up these women and tell them that he was going to take pictures of them in like bondage poses and then get them in the pose and then get behind the camera and then tell them, oh, yeah, I'm going to kill you. And then take the picture of them. See, like having that realization that they were gonna die which is insane and like like these ran in a newspaper like after he was caught it's that's crazy so the moral of the story is don't ever trust anybody that says hey i just want to take some pictures of you don't that's really creepy yeah yeah not okay all right so follow us on instagram at dead drunk crime if you decide to recreate our beverages, please tag us in them. We would love to see them. Yeah, I'd love to see your drinks. If you want to see our sources or find out any more information on the cases, Shelby does wonderful blog posts on our website at deadrunkcrime.home.blog. And please email us any case suggestions you have because we're always looking for new cases to cover. Our email is deaddrunkpod at gmail.com. If you're listening on Apple, please give us a five-star review. We really appreciate your feedback, and it really helps us out. Did I forget anything? I don't think so, because we don't have a Twitter, because Twitter is stupid. Well, we have a Twitter. I but think stupid. I have tweeted exactly once from this Twitter. Is Twitter going obsolete? Because I would really love that. I hate it. People definitely still tweet. I just yeah, don't Donald know Trump, how. Trump, but like, I don't know. <laughs> I like just, I don't know how. Is he still tweeting? Yes, unfortunately. I saw a very interesting <laughs> one yesterday. A very interesting one? 
he's just so like he tweets things that like maybe like he shouldn't <laughs> like you know like just like well that's what i feel like twitter is actually so i had to try and find billy bob thornton's social media today and thank god what <laughs> thank god he doesn't have one he's he's said that social media is just making us stupid like yes you should have direct contact to people if you need to ask questions or if you want to report something but that doesn't mean that every moron in america should be able to directly tweet at cnn you know like we don't need to know that you really like cheese it's i don't care you know so <laughs> yeah he just tweets things like i don't don't i don't know i don't even want to get it i hate him um but the only tweet we have on our twitter at dead drunk crime <laughs> says Hi, this is our first tweet. We're bad at Twitter. Go listen to our newest episode on Stephen Peter Morin. Thanks to our one follower. Bye. <laughs> we are bad at Twitter. So, like, maybe you don't want to follow us because, like, if we ever tweet again, it's going to sound like that, and I don't know how. Because we... Oh, somebody <sighs> named Christine followed us. That's so nice, Christine. At Crazy Over Cats. Shout out to you. Thank oh, you. <laughs> we love at Crazy Over Cats. <laughs> That's such a good name. I know. I'm at Crazy Over Cats. We have three followers. I'm really sorry. One is Katie, though. Okay, so I'm sorry to the other two. Katie knew what she was signing and up for. And then one is John, John Keir, so. Oh, they both knew what they were signing up for. Yeah, so totally fine. the only one is Christine Hernandez. Thank you. Oh, At thanks, Crazy Christine, for following us. And I'm sorry about our lack of tweeters. This is her. Tweets are, oh. Christine. Christine. <laughs> Christine. That's from Be More Chill, which I don't think is on Broadway anymore, but the signs are still all over the Metronauts station, so I get pissed. If you want to tweet us, Christine Hernandez at Crazy Cats. <laughs> no. At Dead Drunk Crime. If you want to tweet us, we'll answer your questions. That's probably all we'll ever tweet. Oh, yeah. Tweet us your questions, and we'll tweet her, we'll tweet her back. And maybe if there's a really good question, we'll answer it on the podcast for a quiz. Ooh, there you go. All right. Okay, bye, Mom. Bye, Janice.